0: Uh, good morning, everybody. You guys doing all right? Well done. So this is the like you love Jesus more than football crowd. Like, well done. If we were religious and gave points for that sort of thing, you'd be closer to God. But we don't. But you know, appreciate your commitment all the same. The 8:30 crowd was bigger than normal today. Um, but uh, go Texans. Well, man, I'm Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. It's really good to see everybody. Um, This is our last week, like Chuck said, of a series we're calling My Big Mouth, and it's just, there's been a lot of movement in that a lot of great stories that we've heard about people coming and just saying, I've realized that the way that I carry myself and the words that I say have shown me that some heart issues that I have, and need God to change my heart. And it's just been encouraging to see so many people find something that hits pretty close to home and uh, be willing to to move forward and get closer to God and, and obedience in some of those areas. And this morning, you know, I just kind of want to draw maybe like a circle around the, the idea of this and, and not talk so much about our big mouth like we are gonna talk about some practical implications of, of the things that we say and what comes out of our big mouth but what I want us to kind of get a picture for today is God's big mouth. Like where does this whole idea of mouth come from? Why is it important and it plays a vital role actually in our entire faith um, and existence and being so it's pretty important. So we're gonna dive right in and get started and we're gonna first look at God's big mouth and a lot of the times most on most Sundays we'll say, you know, get there's a Bible, get it out, page whatever. And what I'm going to tell you this morning is like, we're going to cover a lot of ground, so maybe you don't want to get it out. Maybe you just want to kind of pay attention and everything's going to be on the screen for you. And we upload all of these slides to our website. So on the sermon uh, webpage at crossbridge.cc, you can download all the slides. And I want you to like stress out if you missed something or didn't get to write down everything you wanted to write down, please take notes, please capture what God's speaking to you. But I just wanted to let you know that that resource is going to be there for you so you could come back and find things that that we may have gone through kind of fast, because we're going to look at an awful lot of Scripture this morning as we look at God's big mouth first, and then our big mouth as a result of God's big mouth. So here we go. Who's ready? I'm ready. Here we go. All right. Psalm 33 is where we're going to start. The first thing we want to see about God's big mouth is that God's big mouth spoke the world into existence. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all of the earth fear the Lord. Let all of the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So right at the very very beginning we acknowledge that the very reality that you and I experience every single day is a result of the one thing that God opened his big mouth and decided that it was going to happen and everything that we know is because God spoke it into existence he goes on just after that In Genesis 2, uh, and it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So not only did God create our reality, his mouth breathed life into us. So our living and our being and our existence and everything that we see is a fruit of what's come out of God's mouth. Pretty impressive stuff. It goes even further than that. In Genesis 2, right after that, in 16 and 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so this shows us a couple different things, is that with God's mouth, he gives us instruction, he gives, He helps us understand his provision, but what this also shows us is that it's not just about, you know, that God did this, and we believe in him as our creator, and we give him credit for giving us life, but this goes even a step further and shows us that with God's mouth, he's actually inviting us into a relationship, into not just knowing him and what he's done, but knowing him personally, and what the Bible talks about as being known by God, and so he's giving instructions to Adam and Eve saying, I've given you everything. Here's how to live in this world that I've given you to have all of your needs met and to have satisfaction and joy. And you'll never want for any, like this is how it's created to be. And so he gave that instruction. It is an invitation into relationship, into this perfect setting. Well, then something else happens related to a mouth. Unfortunately, it's not God's mouth. It's Satan's mouth that shows up on the scene next. And it's in Genesis three. And it says this, now the serpent was more crafty, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So we just moved from God's big mouth to man's big rebellion. So what was man's big rebellion? Well, man's big rebellion was against the mouth of God. It was against the word of God, against what God had instructed. Well, how did that come to be? Because we are still uh, suffering under the consequences of this rebellious act by Adam and Eve in the garden. And it starts right here. Satan just called God's words into question. He just showed up on the scene and he said, did God re- did, I, did He actually say you shouldn't eat that? Is that really all that he said? And then that was enough to send man into a rebellious tailspin that changed humanity for all kinds. So when we talk about Satan or we talk about the enemy, it's like sometimes our minds go to some extreme circumstances without like exorcisms or, or darkness and fear and all that. But it's like, you know what he does the most? He just goes, Did God really say that? Surely, it's not that big a deal if instead of what God said, you just kind of go this way and do this other thing. You know, God didn't really say that, but He won't really harm you. Like just, it'll, it'll be okay. You know, you'll get forgiveness or whatever. It's amazing how temptation comes in these subtle forms, and people find themselves in rebelling against God, and they never intended to, but somewhere along the way, there was this little distraction. There was this little disruption where suddenly we compromise something that God said because the enemy said, Would God really say that? And we went, "Ah, He probably doesn't care. Let me just go over here. And then we put ourselves on a destructive path that when that grows up and bears fruit like we can find ourselves in a really bad position uh, making a lot of people suffer including ourselves and so we see this reality of man's big rebellion started with satan just calling god's words into question and i believe that he just still does this today when we're tempted when we find ourselves rebelling against god it's usually because we just stopped believing what god has already said because something else looked like a better option in the moment so satan called god God's words into question, and man rebelled against God. And when man rebelled against God, it invoked some pretty severe consequences into the world that God created. And so because of that rebellion, they sinned against God by disobeying his words. That was what did it. And then it created relational separation and eternal separation. So all of a sudden, they were aware that they sinned against God. So what did they do? They went and hid. They're like, oh, he won't find us over here. There's no way he'll know they hid. All of a sudden, in God's perfect world was fear, shame, guilt, confusion, conviction. What's coming on um, after that is pain, suffering, death. None of those things were God's intention for his people. But because man chose to believe something other than what God said, those consequences for their sin, were they became a reality in the world that we live in. It brought fear, shame, pain, suffering, and death into our world. That's why those things feel so terrible when we experience them, because they're not supposed to be here. They're a consequence of a sinful reality that started by not believing everything that God had said. And then to make matters worse, that reality has been passed on to every generation since. So we're born into this sinful reality. Nobody has to teach us how to sin. Nobody has to teach us how to lie or manipulate. Nobody has to teach us. We're born wired for that. We have that rebellion against God and, and who He is and what He said. It was passed down to us through the generations. And so it has severe consequences, right? So this is what I want us to focus on more than the consequences, is that even though this was serious, even though it was man rebelling against God's specific words and voice and instruction and, and just come be with me in this perfect place, it's going to be awesome, and they were. We're like, no, thank you. Instead of God just saying, uh, you know, good riddance, have a nice life. Good luck with eternity. He keeps on pursuing them on the other side of their rebellion. And we see in Genesis chapter three, it says, but the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? I love this so much because it's not like this overbearing judgment or condemnation. How could you? I told you not to do that. You're terrible people. He goes exactly to where he knows they are, by the way. He's not confused. God doesn't hide from people. People hide from God. And so God makes his way to where they are. And when they can hear him, he says, where are you? Where are you? This is a question of the utmost importance because this can serve as a metric for us even today to help us understand where we are in our relationship with God, where we are in our faith, where we need to go from here even. And so he says, where are you? But what this is also showing us is that God's not content to leave his people on the outskirts of the king. He's not content to leave them in their pain and their suffering. He's not content to leave them hiding away from his presence. He's showing us that he doesn't give up on them. And even though they rebelled against him, he's still after them and he's still pursuing them and he's inviting them still to come and be with him and to restore what was taken away from them because it's what god does he simply keeps speaking and he's still speaking today so we see that god had this pattern where he spoke into existence he spoke life he spoke instruction he invited into relationship man didn't handle it properly and instead of giving up god just continues to chase and continues to pursue and continues to put himself where his people are because god's not just um establishing a reality. He's inviting a relationship, and so he's pursuing a reconciliation from that rebellion. He's pursuing a reconciliation from that rebellion, and he pursues this reconciliation by asking the same question from Genesis 3, where are you? And that question is not just for Adam and Eve in the garden. That question is for us today. It's a question that's significant, strategic too, right? Because nobody can answer that question for you where are you? You can't look around and go, hey, where where am I? No, this is God just kind of looking you, letting things narrow into focus, just him and you going, where are you today? Where are you? We need to consider this question. Are you living faithfully as a child of God? Are you adhering to the promises that he made in the garden? Are you following his word and his instruction? Or are you doubting? Or have you compromised? Or have you found yourself twisting the words of God and letting it lead you into a new reality? Or are you stuck in fear and shame? Are you in a place where you're confused? Are you in a place where you're embarrassed? Are you in a place where you're hiding? Or maybe even the Bible talks about this, we're going to look at it in just a second, but maybe you're pretending. Maybe you feel the pressure, like when you come into a place like this and you think, well, everybody else is this way, so I need to be this way when I'm with these other people. But then tomorrow, when you're somewhere else, you're somebody else, and your language changes, and your clothes change, and your interests change, and your conversation changes. And wherever you go, you can become a different person. There's a lot of pressure in our world to fit in in those different places. And I just call that pretending. Like that's acting, that's playing a part in a role. But that's not what the children of God have to do because you are who you are as a son and daughter of God. You get To be that person fully and wholly wherever you are. And if you're pretending to be somebody in a lot of different places, then you're wrestling with your identity and you don't yet know who you are. You're not answering the question, where are you? You're like, I don't know where I am. When I'm here, I'm this. When I'm there, I'm that. When I'm there, I'm that. It can be simpler than that. The question is, where are you? And Isaiah. Uh, God spoke this through Isaiah. He says, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. So this is showing us that this is nothing new. This pretending, um, this trying to look like we have it all together, it's nothing new. This Old Testament and New Testament address these, this, this issue, this one specific issue, that it's like the words that are coming out represent a heart checked out. Like they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and there's no evidence of faith in the way that they're living their lives. They're saying this, but living this, those things actually should sync up. And so it takes us to a deeper question. It's not just where are you, but where's your heart? Where's your heart? It doesn't matter. You, I mean, people can be really impressed with the things that you say. You can talk a good game. You can know what to say, but the question is not just, you know, where are you, but where's your heart? If you're being honest with yourself, where's your heart right now? Where's it resting? What's it full of? What are you struggling with? What are you celebrating? Where's your heart? So, we're going to look at heart for just a minute, and I want to put up man, the esteemed theologian Chuck Land said this <laughs> No human can tame the tongue, but Jesus can transform the heart. So, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. That it's not only about the things that we say, even though we've gotten some really practical help in the last few weeks that it's been really significant for a lot of people. It's just reminding us that, okay, it's not just about fixing what we say and pretending. It's about going deeper and looking at our heart. Uh, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we have an issue with what we 're saying in any of those ways we're we 're lost we 're rebelling we 're pretending we 're creating destruction with the things that we say like it 's not about fixing our language it 's about looking at our heart. Paul Tripp says word problems our heart problems. So we just clearly see that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We're talking about people honoring with their lips while their hearts are checked out. It's our heart that needs the attention. It's our heart that we need to invest in. And if we don't do that, then the word fixes that we do are just going to be temporary and they're not going to last. If we can let it sink down into our heart and come from a place of transformation, it's going to be sustainable uh, for the rest of our lives. And so we see this as part of God's pursuit of reconciliation. He's chasing us. He's coming. After not just our behavior, he's coming after our hearts, which will in turn have positive benefits on our behavior. And so this is how he says. So he doesn't give up. He's like, "Where are you?" And he's not just like get that figured out, and check back with me later. He keeps going. He keeps pursuing, and he has a plan for his reconciliation. So I want to look at how God's plan, I want to look at God's plan for reconciliation. The first thing that we see that he does is he just says he did and will continue to do wonderful things. Things, because This is who God is. He just does wonderful things. It's who he is. He can't help it. It overflows out of the essence of his identity and his character. He does wonderful things. We pick this up from the next part of that passage in Isaiah, where he first just said, because these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. He goes on to say, and their fear of me is just a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder and the wisdom of their wise shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. And i this is so good, right? Because we are so addicted to personalities and and teachers and preachers and resources and authors and podcasts and things like this, that it becomes really easy for us to substitute biblical obedience to the last person that we're listening to. So that we're actually following an instruction by some person's philosophy, maybe more than we're actually following the spoken words of God. And we need to be careful because we're not following anybody else on the planet. We're here to follow God. We're here to follow God. And He's just saying, Hey, all that other wisdom, I'm going to dry that up and that's going to pass in a minute. But I've got this. And this is what I'm going to do. While all these other things are popping up and they're trendy and people are listening, I'm just going to continue to be me. And I'm just going to keep doing wonderful things to show people that I'm still pursuing them, that I'm still inviting them into reconciliation. And guess what? He's never stopped. That's His plan. These people are going to keep rebelling against me. They're going to keep getting it wrong. I'm just going to keep pursuing. I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep doing wonderful things over and over again to show them that I am who I say I am. I do what I, I say I'll do. And my invitation never—it doesn't have an expiration date. As long as there's breath, there will be an opportunity for people to come into that relationship. This also shows us that you can't ride the coattails of somebody else's faith. Somebody else's testimony doesn't count for anything for you. You have your own testimony. You have your own story. You have your own experience of God's wonder and his majesty and what he's done for you. And so God's not chasing you to believe it, just be a part of a group of people. He wants you to have this experience personally. And your personal experience in the context of community is a lot more powerful than pretending that you've had an experience that somebody else has actually had. And you, write, you can't write somebody else's coattails into eternity. You have your own experience. It's your own invitation to where are you? Where is your heart? What are you believing? Who do you say that he is? This is all part of God's plan for reconciliation. And so he does wonderful things. He does even more than that. He has a history of raising up prophets. In Jeremiah 1, it says, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Nobody was more surprised than Jeremiah that all of a sudden he had the words of the Lord in his mouth. But this is what God does. God puts his words in the voice of prophetic people who speak that word when people need to hear it. Now, the prophets were overall very unsuccessful in people going, you're absolutely right. Let me turn from my sin and follow God. Most of the time they rebelled even further, but God was out there dropping truth on him, speaking his life, speaking words, showing the wonderful things. And I think that we find that to be true, that all around, you never know where God's going to speak to you. You never know where you're going to to hear the word of the truth of God spoken in the world that we live in, but he plants it in different places so that we can pick it up and go, I think God spoke to me through. Sometimes it's just like you need to see a sunset and God doesn't speak through a person, but he speaks through his creation, which he does. But sometimes you're on the radio or sometimes you're listening to a conversation that has nothing to do with you and you hear God speak to you. God just does this. He puts his words in the mouth of people so that others will hear it, giving them the opportunity to respond. God is not passive in calling people to reconcile to him. He's active. He's active doing wonderful things. He's active putting it into the mouths of prophetic people. And then people continue to reject him. And instead of, again, him just going, enough with you rebellious people. I'm sick and tired of wasting my wonderful things on people who won't acknowledge. He goes further. And in John, we learn that he sends his son to the world. In John 1, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How does the gospel of John describe Jesus? As the word. The word made flesh. Here again, to remind us of God speaking to us, calling us into the relationship that was formed when God spoke it and invited us into it. Jesus is drawing us back to that. It's all about the big mouth of God and calling us into who God is and what he has done. And despite man's rebellion, God just keeps going further and further and further to continue to call people to himself, to give them another opportunity to hear the truth and respond to it. These words are always necessary. And God sent his son to bring those words into our world. And Jesus is the word made flesh. And when he came onto the scene, he brought the word in new ways and he taught with more authority than anyone ever before. People were amazed at what he said. His words were backed up. They weren't just words in gatherings. They He went out and he backed up what he said with miracles and signs and wonders. People stood in awe and wonder as they watched him cast out evil spirits. They stood in awe and wonder as he calmed the wind and the waves. They stood in awe and wonder as he healed people and literally brought the dead back to life. And in his ministry, he did all all of these things and, and more. And the Bible says, if we wrote down every single thing he did, the libraries of the world couldn't contain it. Like he was just so much more than we could ever hope or imagine. And he did all of these works on an ongoing basis. And then he did even more because we have this issue of our sin deserving a punishment. And instead of condemning us for our rebellion against him, he decided to take the punishment himself by dying on the cross. And instead of in turn giving us judgment and condemnation that we deserve, he said, I've got that. I'll take that. And in turn, I'm going to give you grace and mercy and forgiveness. And I'm going to invite you to live eternally for all time. Just come and believe in me. Jesus was like nothing that anybody had ever seen. And what we was doing is he was just speaking, showing people the words and the power of God. That's what Jesus did. It's what he continues to do. And there's more. Hebrews 1, Says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So he didn't like die on the cross, resurrect, and then peace out until he's coming home, like, or coming back to get us to take us home. Instead, he's ruling and reigning over all of creation. And Hebrews says, the way that we are able to take a breath, take a step, so that our atmosphere remains intact, so the world keeps spinning at the rate that we don't all spin off and burn up into the sun, is because Jesus. Jesus, with the word of his power, is keeping that from happening. He's still doing it. We take it for granted. But God's showing us that on an ongoing basis through his wonderful acts, through his deeds, through his seed, through his truth, through the prophets, through his son. And if that wasn't enough he inspired a bunch of people to write down these words. And over the years, they've been compiled into this book that we call the Bible. It's why we call it the word of God, because it's further testimony of who God is and what he's done. And we can pick it up anytime that we want. And we can take in and hear for ourselves what God has said. And some of us, we do that in, in small chunks and we get overwhelmed. And then we get to Leviticus and we're like, I'm out. Well, that's why God sent his spirit to help us understand what it's teaching. Right, God just continues to give. He continues to pour out. He continues to give us everything we need for reconciliation and to come into that relationship with him. God's big mouth has been busy for our entire history. From the beginning of time, this is what he's been doing. And some people come and say, yeah, I'm in. And some people are like, no, not for me. God continues to do wonderful things. Inviting people to know him, believe in him, experience eternity with him. So God has this plan for reconciliation. But I wanted to hit really close to home for us for just a minute. What's your plan for reconciliation? How do you reconcile with these things that we've seen about God and heard from God? What is there something that you need to respond to? Right. I know this is supposed to go to the end, but I'm gonna put it right here what's your opportunity? What's your opportunity for reconciliation? Where where are you? Where is your heart? Maybe today's your day. Maybe you've been knowing that there's some things that God's calling you to, and you've been like, it's not time yet. I don't know how to do it. I'm not sure. Maybe today's your day. Today's probably your day. If you have the courage to stop believing manipulated words about God and sink back up with what he said and go forward in what he's called you to do. Let's not leave here today without evaluating where we are with God and where our hearts with. Maybe there's some things that you need to do. Maybe, maybe you need salvation. Maybe you would not call yourself saved. Maybe you would not call yourself a Christian. And what I want to encourage you with is that everybody who is a Christian used to not be. So there's no judgment and condemnation for the people that aren't Christians. We've just all responded to an invitation, the same invitation that you have. We RSVP'd, yes. And we felt like it was time. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your time to come to the party. And maybe you want to, and salvation just looks like this. I've been believing lies. I'm at the end of myself. I don't believe I can save myself. I believe that Jesus, these things that I've seen are true and is worth following. And I'm going to step out in faith and believe that he is all those things and trust him for my salvation to save me from what I can't save myself from, to lead me, to help me, to guide me. And maybe you want to pray a prayer like this. Father, thank you for pursuing me, loving me, not giving up on me. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. I confess I have sinned and rebelled against you today. I turn from my sin, receive your salvation and forgiveness, accept your grace, and will live from now on as your child. Maybe that's something that resonates with you, and you're ready to make a statement that is just that. If that's you this morning, man, I hope you tell somebody. I hope you come talk to us. We want to celebrate that with you. It's the best decision you can ever make. It really does change everything. So maybe you're here, maybe that's your opportunity for reconciliation. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're like, okay, I'm not ready for that, but I'm not saved, but I'm still checking things out. Like, I want to know more about God. Like, this is making sense to me, but I'm not sure I'm ready. And maybe you're seeking out whether this is worth following. And I just want to say thank you for having the courage to see that something's not working for you and that there's an opportunity out there that's worth following. And I would just say keep keep going. Don't give up and don't quit. I also tell you that I believe the Bible says, I don't believe the Bible says, the Bible does say. That's why I believe it. But it says that if you seek him, You will find him if you seek him with your whole heart. If you're just kind of dabbling and seeing if this piece works on this part of your life and the music makes me feel better and and this makes me feel this, like, okay, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. And that's not finding God. You got to go with your whole heart. You got to go all in. That's the only way that this thing works. But the Bible says that, and we've experienced this to be true, that if you seek after him with your whole heart, you will find him. So I just want to encourage you to keep going. Keep seeking. If there's any questions you have, there's anything we can do to help you, that's why we're here because we want everybody to know the power of the salvation that god offers through his son jesus so maybe or maybe you're through those things and you've already walked through that reality and the next thing for you though is like you know you're saved you know you're a child of god but you're in a bad spot or maybe you're in a disobedient spot maybe you're rebelling maybe you got some words twisted and you know it and you need to get yourself out of that situation well i just want to remind you that repentance is the way forward doesn't matter where you are, how bad. There's, no, there's more grace in God than sin in you. And everything that you bring can be forgiven. And so if you find yourself there, maybe this is God's invitation. This is definitely God's invitation. But maybe this is the day that you're able to say, I'm turning from that. I'm going to walk out of that. I'm going to receive God's forgiveness. And I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to follow him. And it's your time to stop believing lies, twisted words of, of the enemies, and start believing all in on God. Maybe you have a need for repentance this morning. Maybe you have need of reparation. Maybe you've found yourself in a bad spot. You've repented, but now you've realized that you left a mess wherever that sin was committed and there's relationships that are broken or, or there's gossip that's prevalent and you need to go to the source about something instead of going around the source and, and you just feel like there's some reparation that needs to be made. This is just part of what happens in life when we find ourselves off course. It creates a mess and that mess can be cleaned up through the mercy and grace of God. So maybe there's an opportunity for reparation that you can walk in. Or maybe it's just like, keep on keeping on. Maybe you're God's child and things are great and you're drawn near to him and you're being authentic and following him and experience his wonder and his goodness and his grace. And maybe there's not one more thing that you need to do right now to be obedient to what he's calling you to do. And if that's you, just keep going. Just remain and enjoy that season and pray for the strength to keep going and what God's called you to do and who he's created you to be. That's valid as well. So what's your plan for reconciliation? What do you need? What do you need from God's mouth? What do you need to respond to from what God said before you can focus on what you need to say and who you need to be? Our mouth of speaking, our speaking flows out of what we believe about these things in our heart. And until we let those things settle into our heart, it doesn't really matter what we say because that's about who we are and who God is. Now, I do want to talk just a few minutes. After we've experienced this reconciliation, there's some things that we do need to be focused on with our mouth that are incredibly powerful. So when your heart is drawn near to God and remains there, your mouth will sound different. Someone's heart who's been reconciled with God speaks for his glory and for the good of other people, and it comes out in these ways. The first way that we can use our mouth for the glory of God is in worship, in worship. Now, when we talk about worship, the first thing that we probably think about is what we did before the message. And we think about the music and we think about what we love about what comes off of the stage here and the songs that we love to sing and the musicians that lead us. Like that's a part of worship, but that's not all of worship. That's a piece of worship. It's not all of worship. And actually the first part of worship that's important about our big mouth is knowing when to shut it, knowing when to shut it. Ecclesiastes talks about it like this, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. My, um, my, one of my grandmothers was notorious for saying, well, somebody had to say it. And it always went exactly how you would imagine that it went. And it's like, you know what? Somebody may need to say it, but not until they shut it first. Like, we may have this conviction that, that we have an insight and we have a truth that needs to be spoken. But have you closed your mouth long enough first to sync up with God on whatever that reality is? Because if we did this as a practice, if we like to meditate on God's word and what he's spoken, then it would change radically the way that we speak and act and talk. And sometimes when we put meditation on there, some people are like, oh, I don't want any of that Eastern philosophy. Guys, Christianity is an Eastern faith system. That's where it came from. It has a spiritual element to it that's just as important as the linear thinking that we like so much. It has a spiritual element. It has a prayer element. It has a spirituality. It has a meditation element, which means coming before the words of God and giving it audience in our life such a way that it permeates who we are, that we think about it, that we pray about it, that we ask ourselves, where are we with this reality? Where am I with what God's saying? It has nothing to do with saying what saying what we're doing or, or showing up somewhere. It has to do with being still and being with God and letting everything that we are overflow out of being in that place we have to be able, we are constantly meditating. We're just meditating on the wrong things. We have a device in front of us all the time that we're letting soak into our heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. And most of who we are and what we do and what we say is an overflow of the other things that we're putting into our heart, more so than the scriptures and more so than the word of God. And it's not like we say we struggle to find like 10 or 15 minutes to soak in God's word while we have this constant feed of information coming in from a hundred, Hundred other sources. We're meditating on those things. Whatever we're filling our heart with the most is where our meditation and where our focus lies, and what comes out of our mouth will reflect where we've spent our time focusing. And the Bible's just saying, hey, this is a, this is a better place. Before we get crazy and make these big declarations and commitments, let's just be with God. Careful about that. Let it soak. Be in the presence of God. And when you come out of that, what comes out of your mouth is going to be golden. And one of the things that needs to come out of your mouth is music. Music. And this is always a fun one, right? Especially for like men who are like, I don't like to sing. And it's like, all right, let me just give me some room here for a second. Because 400 times in the Bible, that's a lot. 400 times the Bible says that singing is an overflow of being in the presence of God. People gathered together for the glory of God who've experienced his wonders and deeds are moved to sing. It's not about an opinion. It's not about a preference. It's something that God created for his glory that when the church sings, it says he inhabits the praises of his people. It's a powerful thing. You know, it's not just like I don't like that. I don't like. It's a reason that a lot of people give for not coming to church because they they don't want to sing. They want other people to hear them I and it's like the Bible doesn't say you have to sing well. It says make a joyful noise it is perfectly acceptable. But it does say you need to make music with your mouth. It's part of what God transforms. There's something in you that moves and when you let your guard down to be open to that, You experience something that you've never experienced before. The Bible says we're supposed to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs when we we meet. Here's one of the 400. It's actually Psalm 43, not 40, verse 1. He put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. For a lot of my life, I was on one side of the worship wars where it was like I was a young worship leader when like, people were judging us because we were singing things that weren't hymns, right? And it's like, how could you sing those new songs? And it's just with those guitars and those drums. And it's just a, a, you know, a compromise of pure church music. It's like, you realize most of those hymns were new in the 18th century. There were songs before that that they threw out to sing these ones. It's like there's always been, and now I'm old enough to be like, I'm not sure I like techno worship very much. It's like, can we just go back to an acoustic guitar? and some? It's like now I'm the old guy going, golly. And I have to remind myself that from generation to generation, God puts new songs in the hearts of new generations to reach them for his kingdom. Music is a powerful tool. Music takes truths to places that you can't otherwise get it. You ever wonder why that song comes to your mind? Because music took it there. Just speaking the lyrics to a song doesn't do it, but music has power. Music has strength. And what we're doing, besides giving glory to God with our mouth and, and the things that happen when we come into the presence of God, we're loading you up with theology through the songs that come off of this stage. It's for the glory of God for it to be there when you need it the most. And you didn't even know. It's there. God's using it. It does something in our hearts and our minds and our souls. It's a powerful opportunity that we have. So when we sing, it shouldn't just be like, I don't know if I like that. It's another new song. Come on. God put a new song and sing it and sing it loud because it brings him glory. Because there's something about getting beyond yourself and your preferences that brings a lot of glory to God. And if you're stuck on this, maybe like on a Wednesday night, you need to find a church that has music that you hate and go hang out there and worship God with music that you hate. Because he's just as present in that as what you love. It's a powerful thing. You know, one of my favorite things in traveling the world is being in a place where I don't speak the language and hearing the worship ring out. Nothing more beautiful to me than that. And watching and just seeing God absorb all of this worship and all of these different styles and all of these different ways and knowing that He's putting His truths in the hearts of His people. As people who understand the power of God's words, when the music drops, we should be all in. We shouldn't need a warm up because God doesn't take any time to warm up to us. God's been doing this, revealing Himself, and we should be ready to worship at a moment's notice in our meditation, in our response and participation in the music. Music is even better than that because music is mobilization for mission. You knew I was going to talk about mission. You knew it was coming. Music mobilizes us for mission. John Piper says it like this, that mission exists because worship doesn't. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. You know what we're going to do for all of eternity? Worship God. You know what's going to, everybody in heaven's going to be? A Christian. There's going to come a time where every knee will bow and tongue confess and nobody else needs missions because they're already all there. What's left? Worship but because there's people who haven't tasted what we've tasted, then worship reminds us that we have something that other people would benefit from and need. And so it moves us to be thinking about mission and sharing that with other people. So worship motivates us also to witness, to witness. So we have worship and we have witness. And I just want to talk about this very briefly. Witness some of you are like, you know, having Southern Baptist flashbacks when we talk about witnessing and things like that. Just calm down. It's okay. And the introverts are like, no, not that. It's okay. A witness is just this. Somebody who saw something that can tell somebody else about what they saw. That's it. So what you've experienced, you can tell to somebody else. There's an opportunity that you have to proclaim the goodness of God that you've experienced. In Jeremiah, it says like this, I will not mention him. or If um, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot. I love this so much. What this tells us is there's a place you go with God that's so deep and so rich that even if you tried to clam up about it, you can't. We're quick to tell everybody about every other consumer good that we enjoy and want to get involved in their sales pattern for. Come by this, it's so good, it's changed my life. Come by this, it's changed my life. Oh, hold on now. What about God? It's so good that I couldn't hold it in if I wanted to. There's just a place you get to where it comes out. Romans says, and how are they to believe in him of who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Everybody who responds to God was told about it. Somebody had to open their mouth and tell them about the wonder and the goodness of God. And you know what? That might as well be you. It can be. That's part of of God's plan, putting his words in his people's mouth so that other people can taste and see the goodness of God. We are to proclaim with our mouth the goodness of our God. And the last thing I want to say is that we also have a responsibility to protect with our mouth, to protect the people that you love, to protect the poor and the powerless and the voiceless. Proverbs says, open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and the needy. That's part of what God transforms in the hearts of his people. It's no longer okay to let injustice run rampant in the world that we live in. We are to open our mouths and to protect those that can't protect themselves. That's part of missions. When Jesus came onto the scene, he said, I've come to preach good news to the poor, the oppressed, the cast out. That's real. They need somebody to speak for them and it should be us. The other thing we see is that he saves the needy from the sword of their mouth. That's the pride and the arrogant and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts her mouth. Mouth is everywhere in the Bible. And the mouth that has the words of God in it can shut the mouth of injustice that's leading thousands to death every single day. We have there's power in a transformed heart for worship through meditation and music, through witness, through protecting and proclaiming. And the last thing I want to say is that, and I just say this because it's been a very real part of my world here lately, and it's, I've never experienced anything like this. But there seems to be an epidemic in our culture at the moment of young people deciding to take their own life because they can't find a reason to go forward. And it's not the same as it's been before, where it's like there's patterns of this behavior, and it's not, um, it's from people that never saw it coming. People who assumed that their loved ones knew how they felt. And one bad day has led some people to take their own life. Part of our mouth needs to protect the people around us. And what I want to encourage us to is don't assume that the people close to you know how you would feel if they were no longer a part of it. Don't assume that everybody around you knows their place, and that they belong here and that God has purpose for them and that they are loved and valued and treasured by you. I see this as a tremendous opportunity in our world because there's a, it's just happening more and more than it ever has. We have a voice to be used for the glory of God. That's one of the ways that we can use it. So this morning I just want us to consider where where are you? Where's your heart? What are you aligned with? What are you synced up with? What's your opportunity for reconciliation? What's God leading to you? What do you need to say? What do you need to not say? I can't answer any of those questions for you, but I know that considering the question will take us to a place in our faith that brings God glory and honor and will bring us tremendous joy. So I'd like for us to bow our heads.